When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to New Music Box from New Music USA, presented in collaboration with DubLab Radio as part of a series where we feature conversations, DJ mixes, articles, and live performances that explore the current landscape of music composition. Welcome. This is Frosty from DubLab and thrilled to be here for New Music USA's New Music Box DubLab partnering with New Music USA for conversations, expanding the horizons of sound and we are here in Los Angeles uh, in a place called Griffith Park. If you're from LA or have visited, you've probably heard of it, but more specifically, Trails Cafe, a lovely little cafe nestled here in Griffith Park. And I'm with Noah Klein, one of my favorite people, and couldn't be uh, more happy to be sitting at a picnic bench under a big tree with you, Noah. How are you? I'm so happy to be here sitting on a picnic bench underneath a bunch of large trees with you. I feel like if people really want to get um their place situated we're tucked between ferndale and the griffith park observatory so uh one of the oldest uh places of civilization in uh, in the la basin yeah so nice to know people have been hanging out congregating talking about art here for thousands of years <laughs> making art as well and you know activating these spaces in many ways and and you have been very tuned into physical space around Los Angeles and activating that physical space with art and music. And we'll jump into that in the context of floating this incredible series. But I'd love to, before that, talk about your relationship with the city, but also the work that you do as an artist. Can you give people a little bit of a background into into yourself personally and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am born and raised in Los Angeles. I grew up uh, generally around the west side, so uh, so mostly Venice Beach zone. Um, I, uh, as I've I've been really fortunate and, and blessed to be able to travel with art. I um, I love everything that I see in the world. Uh, um, and but I always come back to wow, Venice is such a strange place to have uh, uh, grown up in and become normalized and basically my my uh, my baseline for experiencing every other place. So I always find myself drawn back to it, and I think that. Um, being raised in a place with a with a literal freak show um, and uh, and surrounded by street performers and being encouraged that skateboarding, surfing, outward displays of self determination and self expression in any conceivable manner is like a perfectly fine way to be. It does wonders to the brain. I, I encourage it um, for for all all parents and children everywhere. Um, and uh, and so I think that it uh, really internalized that growing up and trying to figure out how to live a life of civically minded community minded art is a necessity my mom uh, taught at Dorsey High School and and uh, worked in special education departments her whole life and so I've grown up working with her amazing students blessed with so much creativity and seeing the world in such uh, from such a unique perspective and so painting that with the arts ecosystems that we're surrounded with I think that every day is just like a gorgeous 
enormous lesson. So I think in my own artistic practice, it's very much been rooted in what my friend Joe Ahern taught me. It was called uh, creative placemaking. Uh, Joe mm. is one of the founders of Silent Barn, and, and his dad, Charlie, uh, is the director of Wild Style, uh, that, that iconic film. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, we did a lot of work together in New York, um, um, specifically with Silent Barn. And so that's been an enormous part of my life and, and a really formative experience. And mm. before that, working with friends on other uh, collective art projects. Um, uh, one of them was called Family, uh, FMLY. And so we yeah. organized uh, renegade outdoor guerrilla arts festivals where we set up um, a geodesic dome on the corner of La Brea in Venice uh, without any kind of permit, had bands playing it for 12 hours. Moon Pearl set their drum kit on fire. It was very close to a police precinct. And so every 10 to 30 minutes, another cop car drove by and eyed us. And for some reason, no one thought that anyone would be... Um, uh, so irresponsible enough to do anything like that without a permit. So no one actually asked us if we were legally allowed to do this. Yeah. And then on top of all that, I have a music practice. And so I've very much like been interested in exploring like the species of spaces and um, what it's like to record, to channel different environments. Uh, a lot of my life that's meant like, what does it sound like to record a resting room tone and to utilize the acoustics of certain places that are meaningful to me, not necessarily because they offer anything in terms of like unique resonant frequencies, but knowing how ephemeral a lot of our arts communities are, what does it look like to, to work within certain communities and the musicians um, who are a part of them? What does it look like to record in certain DIY spaces? What does it sound like to just record the background noise and, and tie all these threads together? And and then uh, in a personal practice, I just I just play flute outdoors. So a lot of the places that we'll probably talk about or that floating happens are just places where I've dragged my, my amp and my pedals and my flute and just like tried to figure out how the environment can evoke itself and mm. how to help be a messenger in that process. Amazing. Yeah, I've always been impressed by, by your intentionality for bringing people together for that creative place making for activating the community and i think that you know especially in the past several years with covid and this idea of distance and pods and you know fear in many ways i think it is in incredibly important now even more so to to really bring people together it's always been important but now this idea of how do you show people you know, this humanity, shared humanity, and also these distinct differences, you know, and diversities amongst our community and how that's expressed through sound and art and more is really powerful. You came on my radio show with Dublab many times and uh, your project Cuddle Formation, um, you came on and graced the airwaves and we're very involved, you know, living in New York and in this kind of community building, coming back to Los Angeles and being so, so active in the here and the now, how has this particular place changed in your mind and why do you feel energized to do what you're doing right now? Yeah, um, I think that there's just a completely different energy throughout Los Angeles. I felt like when I would just, granted I was coming to, to visit, to say hello to friends, to work on a family fest for short periods of time uh, while I had moved away, but there was a cohesiveness that I was really missing and it felt like there were very few people who were going between the communities uh, of Lamert Park with the South Bay, with the music that was happening in the Valley and obviously Dublab has always been a champion of connecting all the threads and, and finding the threads between soundscape and landscape but it was just something that I was really missing on a collective scale. Mm. Um, it felt like Family Fest was one of the, the few organizations that was like really trying to bring together musicians from every single pocket of the city and just see what happened when we all got together and had conversations 
conversations about uh, art, environment, and activism over the course of a weekend. Um, and I think that I uh, I'd accidentally moved back to LA, and after three months, was very much like, why did I leave for so long? And seeing the work that people were doing across the city was so so inspiring. I think that. Um, conversations of gentrification like are inevitable there and people really rallying to protect their communities to conserve the history of every single pocket of Los Angeles and trying to renegotiate what it means to feel more ingrained and in place um, and how to be better civic stewards of that and um, and so one of my favorite community art spaces during that period was called Pam uh, and it was in Highland Park and it was being stewarded uh, by my friends Peter and Brian and uh, and it was an extension of Peter's record label called Practical Records and so when I came back to LA I was very mindful of like I have a lot of experience, but I've not lived here for a very long time. I do not want to be the person who just comes into a place that I love, surrounded by people that I really admire and respect and think that I have any idea of what's happening or what should happen. So I simply just volunteered. Uh, I helped out at PAM uh, however I could and tried to support as many local artists as I could, just attending and shouting out how much I, I appreciated uh, everyone and just trying to be like, a body in the room doing what I what I could do if it was just plugging in XLR cables or introducing someone to someone else and so and uh, seeing what Pear Space was up to and conversations of how to reopen and just at a certain point people started asking me for a little bit more organizational help and so I took that as an invitation of like okay well like maybe I can feel more encouraged to start helping with the organizational process again and feeling more ingrained in terms of the fabric of the city and the people who are a part of it um, and so I ended up helping put together a couple things at PAM and then on my own just bringing all of my gear out into nature maybe with some friends and we would just soundtrack trails for people we'd go to murphy ranch and just play music all day um come to griffith park go up to the wisdom tree um uh chuck suhu of uh, of dub lab chuck and i uh brought all of our gear up to the wisdom tree and probably played music for like four hours one day in 20s 20... explain what the wisdom tree is oh yeah for people who aren't <laughs> in la or who haven't been there yeah it's a it's a new extension of griffith park it was land that um was kind of in flux and was in the process of potentially being sold to private development to build uh, multi-million dollar homes and because it is los angeles uh sometimes the people who have the money to fundraise and um and make sure that land can stay within the community and is uh, civically run end up being hugh hefner george lucas steven spielberg <laughs> um, the getty foundation and uh and so they really rallied to get together 15 million dollars to uh to purchase this land and then donate it to griffith park so in i want to say it might have been 2009-ish. This extension just beyond Bronson Canyon, it's the very west end of Griffith Park, was protected. And so there's this one tree that sits there, um, and there's so many wonderful folk stories about it. Uh, my favorite one is that it is a tree that was bought at Vons in Studio City and planted there in the 90s, <laughs> just because that's very unceremonious yeah. for, uh, for being called that's the amazing. Wisdom Tree. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, it's, it's bare. There's been a few fires. It's, mm. it's withstood them all. For many, many years, um, someone left a world war two army chest up there and people would uh would go and they would just write letters um whether it was to themselves in the future themselves in the present themselves in the past to a vague voice uh it was just really powerful every now and then i would maybe peek at a notebook um if it felt okay and people were just having like transcendent transformative experiences hiking up to the tree mm -hmm. overlooking the city and then one of my favorite things about it too is just that um once you're up there you get a 360 view of everything you can see the hollywood sign but um uh interestingly enough you could also see into all of the studios so uh whether it's disney wb uh, or universal you get a perfect view of the back lot which means that the majority of time when you are watching something that is shot on one of those back lots uh, or animated on one of those back lots even if it's the animaniacs you can sometimes catch the wisdom tree in the background uh, 
uh, and so wow. it's really wonderful to, to know it exists and to then be really excited that you can identify a tree throughout media over the last 30 years amazing <laughs> incredible something natural and and you're also a naturalist as well so these sort of spaces of nature are important and so you were activating you're you're playing music up there and then did that naturally lead to how did floating come about what was the sort of impetus for that and and the starting point for that with the collective people who are involved yeah um i mean i'll I'll skip the things i was doing a decade ago but i've done outdoor music series in uh in parks in santa monica around like 2008 to 2012 Uh, my friends and i from 2009 to 2013 did an outdoor bike series uh, with live music and that was very much about reclaiming urban space Mm. Um, so the philosophy has always been about this space exists uh, we're not properly utilizing it and that was more so when we were talking about um, very accessible urban spaces whether it was parking lots abandoned train tunnels um, uh, rooftops and uh, and so for the last five plus years um, around Los Angeles. I've been doing that as my own practice. Mm-hmm. I think it also came out of, in New York, my uh, my good old friend Dan Goldberg, who makes music as the Spookfish, about 12 years ago started a series called The Mountain Shows, where once a month we go on a hike uh, in Cold Spring, New York, um, and I'll meet up at Grand Central Station in the city, and we go for a five-mile hike and play acoustically at a, wow. in a meadow on the vista uh, in the ruins of, the, of a Cornish estate. Um, and so all these conversations uh, um, all kind of just feed into, well, Los Angeles is an incredible city. I think that people really do not understand the amount of biodiversity that is here. It's been really only very recently that uh, scientists and biologists have actually begun to study Los Angeles as a um, as an urban wildlife center in the United States. We are the only city in the U.S. that has a big cat. We're one of two cities in the world that have big cats in the center of the city. The other one is Mumbai. Um, uh, the L.A. River alone has more than uh, two 150 bird species um so it's a it's really like a remarkable place to live so many species of bats come out every single night and so just like privately having these conversations with friends and and trying to stoke this general enthusiasm during the bulk of the pandemic i I had an outdoor music practice and um was quietly with friends uh doing music outdoors sometimes we would invite people we did a couple concerts at the the old zoo in griffith park that was really wonderful and i saw that people were really respecting one another's space we're being very mindful and this is this is space where you go into this area of griffith park and it was the actual old los angeles zoo now (laughs) there's the sort of animal habitats enclosures and cages and and it has sort of uh, almost like, you know, Disneyland fake sort of rock, you know, inc- incredible looking structures or just these cages. And so simultaneously, like, interesting and sad, but fascinating kind of space that, that's so fun and different. Yeah, so much lore and mythology around mm-hmm. it, too. Um, so, yeah, around uh, the beginning of 2021... Uh, I was introduced uh, to to my now friend uh, Brian Schaffel, and we were just chatting about what that could look like on a more consistent basis with more support, and uh, especially like having it be in in community with LA's arts ecosystem. Um, and so, pretty quickly, uh, everything started just coming together. We started on August eighth of twenty twenty one at the Story of Strange Japanese Garden uh, with Jeremiah Chu, Dustin Wong, and, and Yamalik Frequencies. So a very strong dub lab yeah. community there, and a beautiful space. Yeah, and, and and one that other than maybe a wedding or you know uh, the private tours that were led, you know, not a space that would be activated with sound and where the public would be invited into. And I think you know a lot of that is 
you know, one of the, the most beautiful things about the work you do is sort of revealing what's already here. And what you just mentioned, the idea of the treasures, the biodiversity of Los Angeles. You know, Los Angeles is a place that a lot of the treasures are easily overlooked or they're tucked away and people might miss them on first glance, but it continues to pay off as you explore. And if you explore with open mind and ears and eyes and heart, you start to find these things. So that show was uh, August 2021. And what did you... What did you kind of express to the public as, as far as an invitation? How did you present what was going to happen? Um, having no idea. Just we're going we're gonna to gather in a really gorgeous place. This uh, Story of Students Japanese Garden has a deep amount of history. It is uh, really the only Japanese garden uh, that's existed since pre-World War II in Los Angeles. So that alone tells a pretty heavy story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we're always very mindful of trying to present context within all of the places that we gather with story Sterns, they specifically place out cards for people to read and and there's so much wonderful marking throughout the garden it's also a wonderful place where throughout the year they very carefully maintain what grows there everything has to be within a certain color spectrum and then they also make sure that there's a bloom cycle year round so month by month uh you notice uh something new that wouldn't have been there the month prior mm. and so as someone who also like deeply loves nature it's been really interesting and and um uh, recognizing the, the phrenology or the, the way that plants adapt over time, what they look like in their different cycles, and just mm-hmm. trying to be much more mindful of like what even something as simple as a sycamore tree looks like throughout the year, and just trying to really develop that relationship and then figure out a way to interpret and share that uh, with the community that comes. When we were at, the, uh, at Zorthian Ranch yesterday in Altadena, someone came up to me and they said, like, yeah, I haven't been able to come in a few months, but the last time I saw you you were at the Audubon Center at Deb's Park um, and introduced us to this peppercorn tree. And he was like, I didn't know what a peppercorn tree was and now that I know I can grab these little pink peppers and take a bite of them and uh, and he was like, now I recognize how sweet they are based on, on whether it's pink or red. Um, and he's like, yeah, like when I'm with my friends walking around uh, our neighborhood, we see them everywhere and we just like nibble on them throughout the day now and so just hearing that makes me so happy yeah (laughs) peeling back the layers and having people see the city experience it in new ways having people eat the city in new ways is incredible um and the the audience you know it's it's multi-generational which is incredible um but that was the first of the floating series was it already floating at that point yeah, um, I didn't uh, choose the name. Brian uh, landed on mm-hmm. that name, but it felt like such a nice way to express, like, uh, we're really going to prioritize um, improvisational music, yeah. uh, um, music that feels conversational, both mm-hmm. in terms of the people who might be performing together, but also with the environment. I feel like the core tenant is just, like, it's music that is environmental music. It's it's being written on the spot, composed with whatever wildlife is present, um, how hard the wind's blowing through the trees that day, uh, if there's a cool rock formation um uh if we're in a quarry if we're at an overlook if we're at the beach and so how that really changes the way that people might approach their own process and practice and also kind of like if people haven't really taken the time to consider how their own music might be affected by uh the environment in which it's it's played and written in since Mm. a lot of folks haven't really had the opportunities to play outside of their studio or outside of a more traditional venue um hopefully uh, encouraging like a reevaluation of like what does our art and our music mean within the world and community. Hmm. What what is uh, a moment that springs to mind from a musician that either was trying something 
totally new and I think this probably happens a lot where musicians are, are doing something very different than they would in a traditional indoor club setting or otherwise but is there a moment that springs to mind throughout the floating series or your broader work where a musician talked to you afterwards and, and remarked upon how their performance kind of changed their perspective as opposed to the audience's perspective? Yeah, um, I feel like there's so many that I could pull out, but maybe one of the more recent ones, um, uh, just because it's it's fresh in mind, uh, was a really wonderful trio that Wild Up uh, put together yeah. um, during Wild Up's residency, which is currently happening, which is like a 30-plus person ensemble. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation going into this was, cool, well, how do we deconstruct and really allow moments for Wild Up's individual members to uh, to shine? And so this was an incredible uh, vocal trio with Cat, uh, Catherine, and Eliza. And so we were in Bronson Canyon, which is an incredible quarry um, uh, within a canyon. The quarry itself, the rocks were used to build out uh, the core of Los Angeles. So um, at the extension of the core, so mostly like Wilshire Boulevard, Santa Monica Boulevard, Hollywood and Sunset. And so when we're talking about holding music in the canyon, we're also talking about holding it in what is probably the most filmed location on earth next to the rubble that built the Hollywood dream and the imagination of Southern California. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a really fun concept to just sit with um and the way that they incorporated the land into their performance was there's this stunning uh large rock labyrinth uh right in the middle of this quarry that oftentimes i show up early and i i work on or i try to extend it even further but cat catherine and eliza decided to run the labyrinth and so they started at uh three different moments and were hitting it uh at different phasing points had three microphones that were all panned differently and so their composition was really based on where they were within the labyrinth in space the distance to the microphone which microphone they were sitting in and it became this like incredible uh, uh auditory like just like marvel that could not happen anywhere else yeah <laughs> just the acoustics of the quarry as well we just uh had snippets of their voices bouncing off of the rocks there were the crows overhead that just got really active because of the movement so they were flying and then they were looping and and uh and it just became really like a collaboration with the environment in a way that people don't often have the chance to especially when we're talking about trained operatic trained classical vocalists um and it's just like let's just go outside and do something really weird fun and strange do whatever you want and let's see let's see what happens yeah and when you're putting together a lineup for a floating show is is it both sort of the roster here's people who want to have play and here's spaces and then matching up or is it you going to a space and saying well this is the this is the person absolutely who comes to mind or do you sometimes even get the composers themselves and musicians themselves offering a a space how does that sort of dynamic work yeah when we first started i tried to give every single person the opportunity to choose but and then i quickly learned that a lot of musicians throughout the city far more than i would have ever anticipated actually don't know like uh aside from like a couple of um of spaces where like i personally don't don't find there to be like the same level of like um of like wonder to to be able to channel into their art uh we're just open to seeing what what worked um so uh so i was just thinking about all the places that i really love playing music in the places where i've always wanted to see art happen and so we collectively uh everyone who's on staff and works on this like uh we're just running through 
um, and, uh, and having conversations with the parks, trying to figure out how to cross all of these barriers that the city very actively puts into place. Very uh, actively. And, and you mentioned this idea of this quarry that was cleared out to then build the sort of infrastructure of, you know, Hollywood. A lot of this is, you know, kind of protected because of, you know, filming permits and mm-hmm. things like this. It's hard so many places in the world, you know, as you if you travel around music and live music, you know, is much more present just in the everyday. Music's part of the fabric. Here it's like a noise or nuisance unless it's yeah. maybe in somebody's car, but I think that you've been able to through hard work and connections and and coming from a good place, you've been able to kind of break through a lot of that so much of music and art has become privatized and, and paywalled and thought of as leisure and commerce um, has been associated with real estate speculation or the alcohol industry. And it, it um, unfortunately, like, you have to re-encourage that, like, music is a folk tradition. It's something that we've been doing for thousands of years in a handful of the spaces um, and environments that uh, that we sit within. Specifically, like, uh, like where we're sitting now, art has been an occurrence exactly where we're sitting for thousands of years yeah. and uh and maybe the last 70 to 80 of those years we became extremely derailed um and uh and we're provided a different kind of illusion that we've invested in far beyond what we ever should have yeah. um and so a lot of the conversations are going back to what folks have talked about for for decades within the music industry i feel like um probably one of the largest uh names to pull out would be like don cherry and uh and his idea of the organic music societies and having music become a a natural part of everyone's day how you should just be able to pull off the side of the road and um and uh and jam on uh, on some coronet for the sheep herders um yeah. in the same respect we should be able to just go to la state historic park to griffith park to burton chase park in, the, in marina del rey and to these very public uh areas not always private gardens um as we've been talking about the the, yeah. the wonderful Japanese garden and and music should just be an inherent part of how we experience the city, our community, um, without feeling like the city is policing that or um, or trying to quell a sense of like a guerrilla creativity that is just raw human emotion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you know, again, the multi generational aspect to you know because of this control often through alcohol and music you know occurring in the walls of clubs that are usually funded through sales of alcohol you know children aren't able to to hear live music as much and often the times at which those happen are you know late night but the idea of community music and music happenings and gatherings where people are gathering and it's sort of paying into the future you know you're Mm -hmm. you're you're stimulating people's minds and imaginations through sound and and through creating something that takes a lot of work to get off the ground but creating a possibility and showing a possibility kind of proof of concept yeah everybody gathered there takes that with them and i think especially you know i have two young daughters and we've we've really enjoyed the the floating shows and i think that being in a natural space and feeling free within that space um, is really important. It's really, and it's a rare thing, but it starts to echo out, starts to reverberate through, you know, through the doing. So I know the doing takes a lot, but it, it has a big impact. 
Can you, there's soundscapes and sound baths that are sort of like maybe two of the main activations under the umbrella. Can you explain what those two categories are and, and why it's important to, to have those specific categories? And I know a lot happens within and they're probably fluid, but can you explain what those are? Oh yeah, super fluid. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's been interesting approaching this conversation. I feel like I've always had it uh, through DIY communities, through maybe like a more um, uh, lens of, of punk, even if we're talking about environmental music. And so this has been like a wonderful large experiment and maybe approaching this conversation. Uh, um, I don't quite know what the right phrasing would be because I, I don't like any of the words that come to mind right off the bat, but maybe like, what if we tried to have this conversation through a lens of, uh, of, of wellness, of like talking about community health, uh, rather than talking about, uh, talking about it through like punk and DIY and ways that might end up feeling more exclusionary to the general public and just trying to like figure out how to have a conversation of public art, uh, by and for the people in, um, in public spaces as a communal expression of just like, we need this. Our lives are very difficult. Uh, living and existing in the world is very difficult. And if we can create these moments of respite where we just like are there for one another, um, uh, maybe that is only a, a good thing, especially if we can do this with, with our families. Um, and, uh, and so the, the two designations would just be, um, the sound baths are very much more straightforward sound baths. Uh, whether that means that there's, um, uh, a synthesizer turned uh, tuned to a certain frequency or, or hertz um, uh, or uh, singing bowls. It's very much about just becoming immersed um, in, uh, in certain kinds of uh, waves and brain states and just laying down, letting the music wash over you. That's typically for between 15 and 30 uh, people. And we work with Arlington Gardens uh, yeah. for that for the most part, um, which is an incredible garden in Pasadena across the street from the Japanese garden we've been chatting about. Um, also a labyrinth on site. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and a Peruvian pepper tree. Um, yeah. uh, and one of the, the uh, aspects that's really interesting about Arlington, um, they are uh, all volunteer run, but they are located right off of Orange Grove Boulevard, and they are currently uh, running the very last active Orange Grove in Pasadena. Which, Amazing. Yeah, which used to be Pasadena's whole whole thing. Um, and also a space that, you know, it took people to say, this is a space that's sitting dormant, let's activate it. Mm-hmm. And over the many years, that activation became more and more kind of real and more and more beautiful and beauty has a force in and of itself beautiful art you know is powerful and you know beautiful nature and intentional sort of planting of what you're putting into kind of a garden um it becomes a magnet not only for you know butterflies and birds and bees but for people who pass by and once they discover it you know in this I think is really has been was a hidden gem for so long and continues to be this place that is serene easily accessible so so close i think to the kind of urban core of the city but so rejuvenating to spend a little bit of time in dynamic kind of space and i think that when people are turned on to these possibilities they they really do you know it it has such a, a huge impact and and it grows and i think that the embedding of the the idea of the natural elements into it this sort of uh, respect and and education of nature culture all of these things that can be easily it's like the spoonful of sugar you know if Mm -hmm. you can kind of have all of these things that are sort of you know connected to it all 
part of the offering, it is so much more impactful than, hey, I was going to go see a band, you know, which is fun too, but I think it's a different sort of thing. And so the sound baths are also this healing intention, a wellness intention. Are, are there some stories of, of either the sound bath soundscapes or anything in between that a specific performance that that for you just personally was was so incredibly magical and even magical in a way that you never anticipated before it happened yeah i, I feel like i'm i'm blown away week after week and i always yeah. wonder if if um having so much to do would ever make anything feel less sacred and so far it's just i'm constantly um in awe of everyone who's a part of this and the care that they they bring to it we have such like an incredible crew of human beings and artists who make everything happen then i know that's such a large part of it that everyone who performs feels so cared for and attended to and and seen and respected um which having been like a uh, a touring musician is extremely rare <laughs> um, yeah. unfortunately um but yeah i mean right off the bat one of the first ones that comes to mind is uh, a collaboration that we did with Pearspace uh, in Bronson Canyon with Fode Sissoko and Shelley Bergen. Fode's primary instrument is Kora, but he's also a jembe uh, builder, a jill uh, builder. His family's been building Koras for 200 plus generations um, into the Mandinka Empire, and he's a griot jelly, so his, his role um, and purpose is to continue oral traditions, storytelling through music, um, and he does that as a teacher here in Southern California. And Shelley is an incredible uh, harpist who mostly works within experimental uh, circles, uh, studied underneath Pauline Oliveros, um, has worked with incredible people all around and an incredible, wonderful, gifted composer and, and human being. And having this conversation, uh, what I've already noted on the significance of Bronson Canyon and, and, uh, and how we've built the imagination of Hollywood and Southern California from the literal rocks of the canyon to then having Fode and Shelley present. And, uh, and the harp comes from the Cora through colonization um, uh, over various periods. And so it was really just the, the analogy there really blew me away in the moment. And, uh, and having the conversation of like, well, Fode is going to perform. He's going to share the history of the Cora, the Jembe, the Jeel uh, as we're going. And then uh, Shelley is going to share this heart music. And it's really just, it's watching 5,000 years of history unfold in a city that's barely over 100 years old. Yeah. And so there was a, a lot of layers of context uh, falling into one another. And I was sure. just really tripping out. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just really wonderful to sit with that. I feel like I'm still constantly untangling that, uh, that evening in my head. Um, but really everyone, I, I feel like, comes at it and learns something about themselves as well as the city. One of the big things that we try to impress is that so much conservation comes out of art. Someone like Lewis McAdams, uh, who now there's the Lewis McAdams Riverfront Park uh, after he passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and Lewis McAdams is, is uh, founder, co-founder of Friends of the LA River, which started as an art project. It started as reading poetry down by the river. It started as getting people invested into place, uh, into understanding their, their bioregion. And so I think a lot of this is really just like care for the land, care for our communities yeah. and really while being extremely mindful and caring with with all of the artists involved and their music also making a concerted effort to bring people to places that they maybe wouldn't have known about or gone to otherwise mm. teaching them a little bit about the land not trying to preach or talk at anyone just yeah. having a good time and then ideally hoping that people learn to care about these places more and in that process learn about restoration work learn about how they can serve uh, a place that they now know about and care about maybe spend their time in with their friends now mm. and 
through that maybe identify less as like I am a citizen of a nation of a, of a state of a of a city that may or may not exist in a couple hundred years but like instead I am a citizen of this bioregion I should be attentive to the native squirrels I should be attentive to the native birds um, what can I do to uh, propagate more native plants in my in my own patio or if I have a house my backyard or garden and so really trying to find ways that um that music can become a, a tool within talks of environmental education and civic justice and and really trying to tie a lot of threads together that i haven't necessarily seen happen and yeah. at a certain point it was just like oh well maybe we just have to be those people <laughs> yeah it's all about you know yeah taking that action and again the people inspired by the action and we're here you know cohabitating you know with those ravens that circle overhead and are are stimulated by the sound and activity and you know we're 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 all here together so you know gathering people is very important and gathering people in space and and encouraging the the city you know and the civic institutions Lewis McAdams you know really you know said river it's a river it's not a flood control channel mm-hmm. it's a river it's a river it's a river it's a river and you know you, you through doing these things it's it's a performance space and it might equally yes be a park but it's a performance space that has potential to be many things and so i think that's really one of the most powerful things that i've seen as a spectator and a, a, a attendee um and i encourage people if you're in los angeles or beyond feels like floating dot com is uh, a place to go to and uh, see what's been happening and also the idea of you know if you're elsewhere outside of los angeles and you can't attend these encourage you you know through noah's inspiring words and actions you know it takes people saying we're going to be the ones to do it and i think that the pandemic also this sort of maybe early in the pandemic as the human kind of noise floor lowered and nature kind of rose people started to hear birds for the first time in crowded cities and you know become more aware of their environment and also feel more gratitude for those shared moments of humanity and also being kind of nudged outside a mm-hmm. bit you know and, and in a city like Los Angeles we're very fortunate with the the weather in general but I think that you know the encouragement of people to do your own thing you know community action starts with community so I hope that if you're out there and uh, find this inspiring that you take action as well because it it grows and uh, people get a lot from it um, Noah's projects to uh, cuddleformation.bandcamp.com and various other <laughs> projects <laughs> in the world any other um, things that that you would like to kind of share in closing that from where you sit here and now and under a lovely tree in a, a perfect Los Angeles day <laughs> that are on your mind. Um, yeah, I feel like the something that I always forget to mention um, uh, in thinking about like what does carbon footprint look within like mm. the live music industry and and uh, and just in general like even just performing among friends and and um, a lot of times people come up to us in the middle of a gathering and are just like, oh, where did you find power here? And uh, and I'm just like, well, we're like, I don't know. 10,000 feet away from the nearest building um uh let's like have a few guesses before i tell you and uh, and so we're uh we're solar powered for the most part we work off of solar generators oftentimes we we have a five to ten minute hike into wherever we're we're doing our thing um and so i i think that there's also just like so much imagination in terms of like how we can gather where we can gather um what kinds of spaces are accessible and um 
and yeah just like doing whatever's in your heart and i yeah if anyone hears this and feels really inspired too I, my my emails or dms are always open and i'm always happy to share uh what we're using how we do things if anyone has has questions or curiosities <laughs> amazing thank you for for all that you do as a as an individual a human an artist a community builder a activator of uh shared space and uh and more thank you noah yeah thank you so much for all all of the same <laughs> thank you this program was produced by dub lab and supported by new music usa and featured on new music box Additional programs and more details available at newmusicusa.org and dublab.com. <laughs>